Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So the footy season is coming to a climax, which can mean only one thing. The real sport is set to take centre stage with Birmingham's brand new Alexander Stadium staging its first big meeting, the European Taekwondo Championships in Manchester and 10 British canoeists off to Slovakia for the Slalom European Championships. And we haven't even mentioned the countdown to Birmingham 2022. I'm John. And I'm Michael. And this is Anything But Footy. You're listening to the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. And yes, John, you're right. All eyes will be on Birmingham very soon. I was there for the Diamond League. And as you know, I've always liked the Alexander Stadium. I've been going there for years, but wow, what an arena it is now. And can you believe it? Those canoeing championships, also the first international races in the Paris 2024 cycle. So we are joined by a Tokyo silver medalist and a gold medalist from Rio later on on the podcast. It was the thing. I feel like I was always going to get silver at the Games if I got a medal because I just keep getting silvers and silver's a bit more my colour anyway. I had a shoulder surgery at the back end of 2019. I've had a wrist surgery at the start of this year, so I'm kind of raring to go. I'm almost a new athlete. I can't wait to hear all about that and the athletic stadium as well. Unfortunately, we have to talk Russia and Ukraine and the sporting fallout. And we'll discuss how British boxing is taking a step into the professional world too, as two Tokyo medalists will remain in the GB camp in Sheffield. And we'll run through some of the other non-footy stories that you might have missed in the past (laughs) few weeks. And as ever, you can get in touch at anythingbutf on Twitter. You can drop us a message on Instagram, on Facebook. Our website is there for you as well, anythingbutfooty.com. Or you can email us, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. He knows it. I was slightly jealous at the weekend (laughs) that he was at Birmingham. Uh, The Diamond League was back. The athletics crowd was back in Birmingham and a brand new shining stadium. Tell us all about it was Michael and he was there as well. How how was it, Michael, firstly? Because I remember the Alexander Stadium, as you as you rightly say, uh, an, an amazing stadium, but a little tired. Yeah, it was great to be back, actually. And it was the first time, I think, since the start of the pandemic that I've been back at a, a kind of truly 
international sporting event with from my point of view as an interviewer for radio there and the podcast the interview zone which is this kind of snake that the athletes have to come through where they get stopped by all the different reporters from television all around the world and the newspaper guys the people that you'll read in the daily mail and the telegraph and the daily mirror and then of course the podcasts are there like us as well and some of the specialist athletics podcasts and yeah it was just good it was good to be back in that environment it was good to catch up with people and see people that you know I hadn't seen in person for a couple of years and you know it was great to see some top quality athletics action on the track as well the stadium is nice there's the two permanent sort of stands if you like down the home straight and the back straight and then what you've got is these huge temporary stadiums which I fear for you if you have heavy rain during the Commonwealth Games because they do not have a roof on and I don't think they're going to have a roof on but it does look like an arena for you know the big event which is around about what 10 weeks away now and as you said the Alexander Stadium a lot of history there we always enjoyed going to Perry Bar in Birmingham and watching the athletics Birchfield Harriers which were the home club there I mean in their prime they were like the Manchester City if you like of athletics in terms of you know the amount of athletes that they had I remember when I used to cover Birchfield Harriers on a weekly basis I used to describe them as the Manchester United uh, because that's how long ago it was Uh, (laughs) but it was brilliant just to to be back and watching it and I think from a British point of view as well some terrific performances we'll start with probably top of the bill Dina Rasher-Smith did the double, the individual 100 metres, was part of this GB 4x100 metres relay team as well. So in her individual, a time of 11.11 seconds, which in global terms is not the quickest. She did edge out Sharika Jackson and Daryl Nita of Great Britain, who was an Olympic finalist last year as well. She was third. Now, the backstory to this was that Elaine Hera-Thompson had pulled out injured, She is the quickest in the world over 100 metres and 200 metres. So globally is Dina's big rival. And despite pulling out injured, she's actually raced earlier on today in Jamaica. So she had cited a shoulder injury for not travelling, but raced in Jamaica and clocked a time of 10.94. So quicker than Dina Rasher-Smith. Now, Sharika Jackson, I did have a quick word with her. She told me she thought it was a bit chilly. I was sat there thinking the weather here in Birmingham is quite pleasant, uh, for what it's worth. (laughs) But back to Dina. uh, First 100 metres of the season for her. She had run a 200 metres in Doha in the last Diamond League meeting. She's always said that she's not an athlete who's focused on times. She's focused on what she describes as championship performances. She wants to win the medals. She doesn't care whether she's got the quickest time, the fifth quickest time. She just wants to win medals. So 200 metres world champion back in 2019. Back from that injury that wrecked her individual bid for success at the Olympics. And I chatted to her briefly afterwards. Congratulations. Dina does the double, I presume, is what the headline will be tomorrow. Uh, perhaps, yeah. It was, it was a great day today. It felt amazing to be in the stadium that obviously the Com Games are going to be in in a few weeks or months' time. And yeah, I was super happy to come away with two wins today. It was truly my 100-meter opener. So um, having an opener in front of a home crowd at a Diamond League with such a stack field is um, definitely something that you have to rise to the occasion for. But I was very proud that I was able to come away with the win today. And obviously we saw you, a lot of people will have seen you with your niggle last year. How is injury? How's recovery? I'm fine. I was fine a few weeks after the Olympics. It was a very frustrating timing. Thankfully, it wasn't anything like career altering. It was just frustrating timing. And, you know, in this sport, timing's everything. And, you know, it's done now. Plenty more champs to Busy outdoor season as well. Will we see you back here for the Commonwealth Games? Definitely. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. 
And Dina, just a quick word about Birmingham and the crowd here. Oh, it was absolutely amazing. And after um, it's been such a um, strange period with the pandemic, with limited fans, six feet apart, spread out between seats, it was just nice to hear and feel the crowd and the atmosphere again. And I know I talked about it already, but the stadium is truly phenomenal and it gives you a taste of what the Commonwealth Games is going to be like. And I hope that Birmingham's really excited and everybody's going to be really proud to host what is going to be an amazing championships. So that's Dina Asher-Smith talking to me about how impressed she was with Birmingham and the setup for the Diamond League ahead of the Commonwealth Games. Let's move on to Keely Hodgkinson, who was really, really impressive in the 800 metres. And dare I say it, Dina Asher-Smith might be top of the bill at the moment and the golden girl, literally, of British athletics, potentially. I think Keely Hodgkinson has everything to eclipse Dina Asher-Smith over potentially this summer with a World Championships, a Commonwealth Games and a European Championships to come, certainly over the next year or two. Silver in the Olympics against all the odds last time, just the beginning for her, I think. Now, she missed some key meets during the indoor season. She pulled out injured just before her race at the World Indoors, but she was very, very relaxed after the 800 metres when we had a chat. Well, first of all, congratulations on the win today. Talk us through the race. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting to be at the front, but... Um... Nevertheless, it didn't scare me or anything. I just kind of went with it. Made sure to try and kick, take control of the race and just have something left for the last 120. It took us through the winter. Obviously, indoor season was a bit disrupted, but going into that winter with an Olympic medal, does that change things? Um, not so much. I think it was immensely a little bit harder because I did struggle with, you, with a few little niggles and injuries and stuff. So not my finest winter, but it hasn't affected me, which is quite good. Definitely maybe mentally a bit stronger, I think. So, yeah, it's all part of the sport. Um, we're coming out here. New experience being someone who's a bit more known rather than a young one coming through. Um, but I'm enjoying it and I'm enjoying winning for the home crowds. It's really nice. And did winning the Olympic medal change things in terms of invites to things, more opportunities? Um, a little bit, I guess so. But they're just like new, new experiences, I'd say. You know, getting to go to the Bond premiere was like, I absolutely love James Bond. And like, I got to drive the car, which my dad was like fanboying over so much. Um, so yeah, it's definitely nice. Obviously, my main priorities is uh, running well on the track. Yeah, how do you marry up the opportunities, the bomb premieres, with the day job? Um, just planning, I'd say. I'm like, coach, can I do this? He's like, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, make sure you've got your priorities. You know what to say yes to. You know when time's important, when you need to focus, and when it's not, so, yeah. And in terms of competing, is today sort of day one of what could be an absolutely huge outdoor season for you with so many big championships on the horizon? I hope so. I hope to build on from here and hope as the season goes on, get faster. Uh, be nice to challenge the American girls next week. Um, but yeah, it's only May, very early days, and we've got to September to stay fit, so long time to go yet. And do you go to the World Championships and then come back here for Commonwealths? I do, hopefully. Um, and then after that, there's a Europeans, so very busy. But I'm looking forward to coming here for the home crowd in um, July. Everyone I've spoken to says they're targeting all three. I guess that's why you get up in the morning to race and to run. Yeah, definitely. This is the fun part of the season when you've got through all the miserable, miserable hours of winter. But um, it's just nice competing. It's a nice environment. It's like a reward for all your hard work. So I think everyone's really enjoying it. Quick word finally just about Birmingham, the crowd, the track and the stadium here. We are looking forward to seeing you here again in 10 weeks. Yeah, it's a beautiful stadium. The crowd obviously really support for their British athletes and the international athletes. Um, it's just amazing to be a part of. And yeah, I think it's going to be even better come July. All the very best. Thanks for your time. So that was Keely Hodgkinson. There was also a success for one of her other Tokyo medalists, 
compatriots, Laura Muir. I think that first outdoor global medal that she won in Tokyo, that silver's just given her a huge boost. She seems to just carry herself slightly differently, Laura Muir. She's also, of course, now a full-time athlete because she was combining it for a long time with her studies. The world of animal medicine will need to wait for Laura Muir. Her time of 4.02.81 in the 1500 metres, troubled by a bit of a hip injury, which has kind of wrecked her indoor season, means I think the world championships might come just a bit too soon for her but she is desperate to represent Scotland at the Commonwealth Games. Again, we had a chat afterwards. Laura, well, congratulations. What does it mean to be a winner of the Diamond League here in this newly redeveloped stadium here in Birmingham? Yeah, I mean, so, so happy. I mean, it's the first race this season. You never know quite what to expect. So to come here, um, yeah, first race in British Soil on a brand new stadium to get the win was really, really good, yeah. What's the stadium? What's the track like? It's great, yeah. It's, it's like it's, The stadium feels really, really big but then the, cr- the crowd still feels quite close and you can hear them really clearly as well. So, yeah, it's a great atmosphere and I think for both the athletes and the spectators as well. And you're introduced now as an Olympic silver medalist. Does that mean you come into the season feeling 10 feet tall or with the target on your back? Well, if anybody's seen me, they'll know I'm definitely not 10 feet tall. Um, but, yeah, no, certainly it gives you that bit of confidence, you know, having been there and done it on the biggest stage that there is. So, yeah, it gives me a lot of confidence going forward. Yeah. What a year for athletics. You've been selected by Scotland to come back for the Commonwealth Games, but a world and a Europeans. How do you and your team manage that situation? I mean, um, in terms of races, it's actually not too bad for me. You know, they spaced out pretty well. I don't have a semi-final in the Commies, the Europeans, so... It's uh, in terms of number of races, I'll probably race that much anyway. It's more the mental fatigue side of things. So it's keeping keeping control of that and keeping focus, sort of championships and championships, and until you reach the end. <laughs> yeah. Is it too simple to say you prioritise one over the other, or do you target all three? Uh, I'm targeting all three. Yeah, and then they're, they're in the order that you know I want to be sort of the most successful in. So you know, world's been the global championships comes first. Commonwealth's only every four years and I've not got a medal in that event so that comes second for me and then Europeans no I'm a reigning European champion but I'd love to go back there and win another medal so it's in the order I'd love it to be in um, and hopefully I'll I'll get medals in those order as well. And just finally it must be important for you to represent at the Commonwealth Games here in Birmingham Scotland because you don't get that opportunity a lot. Yeah definitely yeah we don't get it very often at all so it's only um, and then, you know, with such a major championships and being in Britain as well, where lots of friends and family can come visit. Um, you know, it's not quite Scotland, but it's as close as you can get. So, yeah, very excited to come back here and race. And they've announced you today as the first British winner here since the stadium has been redeveloped. You're going to be a quiz question. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. You know, it's, it's just great to be back and be racing. Yeah. Well, well done today. Thank you. And I should clarify that Laura Muir is the first British Diamond League winner on the track and I say this because (laughs) Hannah Cockcroft had won the 400 metres wheelchair race earlier on in the day and I should say about that by the way it's a shame that event wasn't given greater prominence in the schedule with all the medals and all the records that Hannah Cockcroft has it's a shame that that race took place before the TV coverage had started on the BBC and before many people were in the stadium but That's something different. Let's move on to the action that did happen later on. Katerina Johnson-Thompson, great to see her in the long jump. She didn't qualify for the final three jumps. I don't think that's a concern. I'm not worried about that. It's another one who we saw who had a wretched Tokyo. Tokyo was so wretched, wasn't it, for all of our (laughs) big names. Adam Jamili, Dina Asher-Smith, Katerina Johnson-Thompson. I think she's got... She's got decisions to make, hasn't she, with the summer? Because heptathlon, her event means that, you know, attempting that triple of the World Championships, Commonwealth Games, European, that would require 
something superhuman even beyond that. And I think like Laura Muir's just told me there, the events probably come for Katarina in the right order. So I think first and foremost, the priority will be peak for those world championships, retain that title she won in 2019, and then she'll come home. It's a Commonwealth Games at home. She had success on the Gold Coast, and I think that's probably second on the list for her. And I spoke to her after her event. How are you feeling? How was it out there today? Yeah, it was really good. The crowd was incredible. Um, the performance I was really happy with. The weather was sunny, so yeah, nothing, no complaints. And how are you? How's the winter been, rehabbing and all of that? Yeah, the winter's been good. Um, rehabbing went really well. Um, ended up getting a good block of training in from January, so opening competitions, um, coming out here and seeing where my body's at and stuff. I, I, I think I'm on the right track. And this is what you do, all that rehab and all that winter work for, to come out and compete in front of big crowds, isn't it? Yeah, I, I feel very privileged today and I'm so happy that everyone decided to come out and you know support support the athletes because it makes such a difference. You know, I got the crowd involved in the, in the long jump a couple of times and, and it helped my performance. So yeah, it's down to these crowds that you know we're all out here and, and enjoying ourselves. And, and 2022 is quite the year for elite athletes. Do you know what you're going to do this year? Have you still got decisions that you're making with your team? Um, I, not, not so much. I, I want my preferences would be the World Championships, which I've got you know a wild card for because I, I won the last time round, and then hopefully Commonwealth Games, you know, subject to to, to selection. But um, that's that's my main focus, and that's what I want to do. I want to be back here in July um, for Team England, and hopefully defending both titles again. Because you must have fantastic memories of Gold Coast and what you did out there. Yeah, yeah, the Commonwealth Games is amazing and it's sort of similar, similar setup with this back straight stand here. So yeah, I hope I can be back here in July. But defending a world title must be very much in your mind too. Yeah, 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 for sure. All the very best. Thank you very much. And good to see, uh, good to see on the long jump as well, Michael, that Lorraine Ugin finished in the top three. I mean, Katarina was there to for, for heptathlon, but but good to see Lorraine from a British point of view uh, battling out Diamond League-wise. Yeah, and we saw Jasmine Sawyers in the event as well. So that strength in depth, if you like, uh, that we've seen over the past few years in terms of uh, British long jumping, still there in evidence. So, yeah, as you said, we should mention Lorraine Ugan doing really well in that competition. Uh, final athlete I spoke to on the day was Matthew Hudson-Smith. He's become... I don't know whether you agree, a bit of a forgotten man for, for many. I remember when he burst onto the scene, we were in the old Alexander Stadium and we were talking to him about, you know, he was going to go on and become, you know, the one one lap wonder, wasn't he? But it yeah, he was. just hasn't happened for him. But as a Midlander, aching to compete at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Really close race today, but it was yours. Congratulations. You. Reflect on the win for us. Um, I just wanted to execute. I knew they are going to use me as a hair, being on the outside lane. So I just waited for them to come and then use their momentum against them and I'll take the home straight. And what do you think of this stadium now? It's been redeveloped and the track specifically. Yeah, it's a really quick track. Um, if the weather is good, I think it would be a better time for everybody overall. Um, I just wanted to get the victory and go from there. When athletes say it's a good track, what do they mean? What's the science? What's the thinking behind that? So when you hit the track, um, you, you get a like, clean step. It's, it's like when you uh, kick a football and you know when you get a clean hit of the football, it like, pings. So it's like that on the track. When you get a good step, it pings and you just travel. So, yeah, that's it. This is such a busy year for athletics, for track and field. What are you targeting? Commonwealth Games must be very much in your mind. It's in your backyard. It's home for you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I want to do... Uh, I want a podium at Worlds, podium at Commonwealth, because back home, and retain my uh, Europeans. And then uh, 
podium, not just in the individual, in the relay as well. And how difficult is it to try and peak three times in quick succession? I'm just running. It's my coach's job, so I'm just running. And in terms of you growing up around here, did you ever think the Commonwealth Games would come to Birmingham, to come to where you grew up, where you lived and worked? Honestly, no. I've been on this track since I was 10 years old and I, I've never really thought about it. So now that it's uh, come and there's a Commonwealth in Birmingham, it's a bit surreal. So I'm really excited. What will it mean for the city and the wider West Midlands region? As you can see, there's been a lot of redevelopment and I haven't been home for a while and I just came back and I saw a lot of skyscrapers. And I was like, oh wow, Birmingham's gone fancy. You know what I mean? So it's really nice to see the development and what the Commonwealth has brought to the city. And it's uh, vibrant. We've got trams now. I was like, what the hell? got uh, skyscrapers, um, a HBC, I've never, I was like, what? You know what I mean? And yeah, the city looks nice. It's going to be nice when I come back again and see the, when it's completely done, because you can see a lot has changed. I mean, the traffic's not uh, disappeared, but <laughs> yeah, it's nice, man, it's nice. And obviously huge crowds here today. It's a sellout, no seats, no tickets to be had. And that will be the same for the Commonwealth Games, you imagine? Yeah, that's going to be crazy. I've got a lot of friends and family who have got tickets to the Commonwealth as well, so I'm really excited. We look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And he's been he's been training in the US, uh, Hudson Smith, I think. And and that time that he he got to win that four hundred meters, he beat three runners from the world's top ten. So we, we're not going overboard, but as you say, a real step forward. Yeah, and I love that interview there where he says, you know, he's come back to Birmingham and he's just seen the development around the city ahead of the Commonwealth Games. He says we have skyscrapers in Birmingham now. He's, you know, absolutely <laughs> loving the fact that Birmingham is going to be hosting this event. And, well, you know, he said in that interview there, I want a podium at the World Championships. I want a podium at the Commonwealth Games. I want a podium at the European Championships. So let's see. Let's see for Matthew Hudson-Smith. Maybe, you know, being away and, and the time, as you say, in America has, has done him good. Final thoughts? Less said about the British male sprinters, the better. As Arnel Hughes mm. full started in the individual, I think he got some stick on the telly uh, from Michael Johnson, who said every time I see him, he full starts. He's he's basically stealing a lane off off an athlete. Whether that's well, he, yeah, I mean, did it in Tokyo, didn't he? <laughs> yep, a bit harsh um, from Michael Johnson. I'm not so sure, but yeah, it was a, a full start. And then in the relay, Hughes, Jamili, Kilty, and Mitchell Blake didn't get the baton round. Now. Uh, the women's team did get the baton round and won. And I know that they've been training in Loughborough um, on their baton changes. Um, bodes well, of course, for the World Championships. Bodes well for England, uh, for the Commonwealth Games. Although Beth Dobbin, who represents Scotland, despite being from South Yorkshire, you keeping up? Uh, she was <laughs> in that GB team as well. But yeah, I think work to do as far as um, men's sprinting in this country is concerned. And just elsewhere in the world of athletics today, in the Manchester 10K, a European record for Ailish McColgan, second in the race, uh, which began with applause to remember the 22 victims of the Manchester Arena attack, which was five years ago. And with so much focus on the Commonwealth Games, Michael, I thought it was interesting in Birmingham that Canada won three of the Diamond League races, including that men's 100 metres that you mentioned uh, there. So from a Commonwealth perspective, um, you mentioned Hannah Cockcroft, a Thomas Young Paralympic champion. Sophie Hahn also won uh, competing. And we will see uh, para-athletes in action in the Commonwealth Games, which is good. And it will be mixed up uh, as, as it was yesterday, or although, as you say, maybe not uh, quite so much on the schedule. I wonder whether that's because the BBC was showing it and not Channel 4, and Channel 4 do the Paralympic kind of thing. And you just wonder whether there is that kind of, um, well, we're not going to show them because we don't cover them um, at the Paralympics. I don't know. Uh, and the other thing, you mentioned Ailish McColgan. I thought Jess Judd, 
uh, was worth a mention as well. PB in a 5,000 metres at Birmingham after qualifying for the 10,000 metres at the Worlds by winning, of course, the night of the 10Ks uh, a couple of weekends ago as well at Highgate. So good performances from them as well. Yeah, and it's just going to be a brilliant summer for track and field fans, isn't it? You know, 10 years on from London 2012, which we all enjoyed, we're going to have a World Championships, a home Commonwealth Games, and then a European Championships as well. It's, it's great for athletics fans. Talking of London 2012, Robbie Grabars, who retired in 2018 after a stellar career, I think is is worth saying, as Britain's top high jumper, uh, was presented with his Olympic silver medal from London 10 years on. Funnily enough, after a Russian gold medalist this time was disqualified for drug taking. And Michael caught up with Robbie after getting that silver medal in Birmingham. Well, first and foremost, what was it like to receive the silver medal in front of this big crowd here in Birmingham? Oh, it's really exciting. You know, I've got friends and family here too this time and uh, just really nice, really proud and satisfying moment. Not many people get two podium moments because, of course, you did get your one in London, which I guess when you look back counts for a lot. Yeah, I mean, for me, upgraded from bronze to silver, I got my moment there on, on the podium. I was never getting the national anthem, you know, I didn't miss out on the big moment to get the gold. Um, Overall, yeah, I, I did get that moment and I've had it again, which is, you know, very, very fortunate. What do you recall about that night, London 2012, the London Stadium, the Olympic Games? Uh, not a great deal. I remember there being a lot of people. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I was kind of, I mean, as you do as an athlete, you're never quite satisfied. You know, I'd messed up really. I was hoping for a lot more of myself, but relief that I did manage to clinch the, the bronze at the time. And uh, yeah, it was a great night. Is it a life changer, a game changer, being an Olympic medalist? Uh, I guess it is. I don't know life without it, really. But, uh, yeah, I work on a building site most days now, building staircases. So nobody there knows what I do, what I, what I used to do even. So, uh, yeah. And when you look back at 2012, was there ever a moment where you looked across on the podium and thought, actually, I think that silver should be mine? Or is it just not crossed your mind until more recent times? Um, you, as an athlete you just try and focus on what you're doing you can suspect away but at the end you're distracting yourself from what you're there to do so um, yeah realistically and the shame is I absolutely love competing against Ukov he was a great character but obviously filled to the eyeballs with who knows what and you mentioned obviously life after competitive athletics how's that treating you? oh really good I mean I go to pub when I like now which is really nice and uh, like I said work a normal job building staircases and uh, absolutely love it. Um, obviously someone spoke to me once and said the best thing about retirement from being an elite athlete is more time on your hands, you get weekends to yourself, is that how you're finding it? Yeah, it's nice. I managed to fill every weekend with something, but um, yeah, not to be having to behave and not eat and do my stretching and training over the weekend is, is a treat. And just being here and observing and spectating must be fun. Yeah, it's really nice to be back here. New stadium, it's really exciting to see. Well, congratulations again, well done. Thank you very much, cheers. Not too shabby at high jumping, and if you want your staircase sorted, Robbie Grabars is your man. <laughs> and we used to think that drug-taking was the worst of Russia's crimes, uh, of course. The state-sponsored machine that saw the Russians thrown out of athletics, a two-year ban from other sports, including uh, the Rio Paralympics, of course. The Ukraine invasion has finally seen most governing bodies react the right way and ban any Russian team or athlete competing. Apart from the ATP, the WTA and the ITF, that's the world of tennis uh, to you and me, who say... 
thanks to the mixed messages from the IOC, because I don't think they've really helped the Olympics by talking about these neutral athletes that they can still have, that Russian and Belarusians can compete under non-political flags. So uh, the Wimbledon and the LTA have ignored that and banned the Russians and Belarusians from competing at Wimbledon. So in return, it means that the ATP, WTA and ITF have removed all ranking points from Wimbledon, Queens and Eastbourne. And I've seen that some people say, well, that just becomes an exhibition event. To still win Wimbledon is still a grand slam. People will want to do that. But if you are looking for points, which you're on a tour, it, it virtually does wipe out the grass court season, which is never good. It's only a few weeks long anyway. Now, Wimbledon say they're looking at their options. In a strongly worded statement on Friday night, they responded, we remain unwilling to accept success or participation at Wimbledon being used to benefit the propaganda machine of the Russian regime. I couldn't have put it better myself. Frankly, have we learned nothing that sport is used to the benefits of these regimes? And has been for for generations, certainly for our entire lifetime and, and probably post-war, um, going right back to the whole Eastern Bloc and... You know, boycotts of Olympic Games that we saw in in the past where America boycotted Moscow in 1980 and then, you know, the Soviet countries in the Eastern Bloc boycotted in 84. And yeah, like you say, sport has, has always been used as a tool um, by politicians and by regimes and, and not just, you know, Russia and the former Soviet countries as well. But, you know, even in this country, I was speaking recently to, to Mike Sharrock, the chief executive of the BPA, the British Paralympic Association, and, you know, ahead of the Paralympics following the invasion of Ukraine, the Paralympic team, Paralympics GB, were under pressure from politicians uh, to pull out of the Winter Paralympic Games this year. So, you know, it, it, it's two-sided. Um, and I go back to a conversation that we had with, with Andy Anson of the British Olympic Association following the, the, the Beijing Winter Olympics. And he said that for some reason, somehow, sport is escalated to a higher plane than politics and business is. And whereas politics and business is allowed to go on between regimes and countries, for some reason, sport can't. And, you know, he doesn't think that's fair. And that's probably the best explanation I've heard uh, for why sport always seems to be, you know, the football that gets kicked about um, when we talk about some of these major events. It is. And I would agree with that for most um, of cases that have gone before. But Russia, it's clear the sanctions are in place. The Belarusians, the sanctions are in place. The the government and businesses. I mean, McDonald's is pulling out of Russia, for goodness sake. If that doesn't say that the, the world has is, is, is suddenly changed, then I don't know what does. I don't know how you can allow a tennis player to use, because he will use it. Putin will use that for his own ends. And and I think sport is, is you're absolutely right. It shouldn't be the the one thing that stands up for um the these issues but it should play a part in it and this one is clear cut but i do also believe that the olympics still are not clear enough and and they never were and they they didn't help the paralympics as you said uh, and certainly uh, when you spoke to Mac, mike sharrock as well that you know, it was clear that the pressure was coming from from other parties but the olympics saying you can have these so-called neutral athletes well we've seen it happen with gymnastics where someone had to, they chucked out a russian because he had a a logo on his on his top you can't just keep saying it is going to be okay when actually they are already using it for for propaganda purposes so 
look, Wimbledon won't be deterred. There'll be thousands and thousands of there every every day. Um, I just want worry from a grass court um, season that events like Eastbourne, uh, Nottingham, Birmingham may have less less prestige and certainly less players may be turning up as well. And the ranking points thing's interesting because if the ranking points aren't given out at these tournaments that you mentioned, we could end up with a world number one who is Daniel Medvedev. That is a really interesting, maybe potentially, I don't know what's the word, ironic sort of uh, result yeah. of, of all the, the political toing and froing. Anyway, no Russians or Belarusian athletes, but Emma Raducanu and Andy Murray will play in LTA warm-up events before Wimbledon. US Open champion Raducanu will play on home soil for the first time since victory in New York in September for the Birmingham Classic, which starts on the 11th of June. A galaxy of British stars, that's something that's been cut and paste from a press release, uh, will be competing <laughs> in the Cinch Championships. I know all about Cinch. It's advertised by Rylan on the television. It is, yes, indeed. At, at London's Queen's Club next month uh, with Andy Murray, Cameron Norrie, Dan Evans, Jack Draper, Joe Salisbury, Neil Skupski, Jamie Murray, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid all in action from the 13th of June. And good luck to everyone in French Open action at Roland Garros this week too. Yeah, great to see the clay court back on the television. Now, following a highly competitive selection event over the Easter weekend, 10 British athletes have been selected by British canoeing for the 2022 season. And the countdown, as Michael said earlier, to Paris 2024 actually starts now. Tokyo Olympic Games silver medalist Mallory Franklin will compete this summer in the C1 and K1 events. And the Rio gold medalist Joe Clark, who missed out on Tokyo, will go in the K1 and the new Olympic event of Extreme Slalom, where he is the current world champion. We'll hear from Joe on that in a moment. But first, has the silver medal success for Mallory really sunk in yet? <laughs> um has it sunk in yet it kind of weirdly yes but more in the sense of it's kind of i forget about it all the time um so yeah i mean it's it's obviously been quite a while now and a lot's gone on and having the worlds and things and then back into a full winter training and i personally made quite a big switch this winter and i moved to a new coach so a lot's happened and obviously got married and all of that as well which i keep forgetting about also um so it's been a bit of a crazy year since it but i think it's it's kind of one of those things that every i kind of forget about it and then I get it out for something or something like that and I get kind of get hit by it all again. Um, but yeah, it kind of, it feels normal. I'm still feeling very odd. Because that was the, the silver Olympic medal, obviously, in, in Tokyo. And as you mentioned, the Worlds, you won a world silver and a team gold as well. And you got married. So you've, you've kind of been busy. Yeah, yeah. It's been a bit crazy. I guess the games being moved into the middle of 2021 kind of filled our season up a little bit because we did still have a world championship. So back into training and yeah then trying to plan getting married and everything but it all went well in general so I think it was all good I'm interested the wedding ring is it gold is it silver what metal are we talking uh, silver I it was the thing I feel like I was always going to get silver at the games if I got a medal because I just keep getting silvers and silver's a bit more my color anyway and have things changed for you have you had new opportunities new things new possibilities since becoming an Olympic medalist yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, especially straight off the back of the games, um, got invited to, like, go watch, like, Man City and Man U, which my now husband was very happy about because he supports Man U, so he was very pleased about that invite. Um, and then, yeah, I did Question of Sport, which was really cool um, and had a few little things like that. I mean, it probably, 
I'd say hasn't been as crazy as I was maybe expecting, but I think I kind of made it difficult with them being away for my rest of my season as well. Um, and I think sometimes when you get a silver medal, it's just not as interesting as a gold medal. And so, you know, you just get forgotten about a bit. It's fine. Not at all. Not at all, Mallory. Did you actually enjoy that stuff as well? On the most part, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed going and watching um, the different sports games, um, some more than others. I'm not a massive football fan. I just took my husband because he likes football. So I was like, well, I've got to say yes to them so then he can come. Um, and got to experience hospitality, which that part I enjoyed because food and drink was good. Um, question of sport. I was terrified going onto it, um, as you'd expect, because, you know, I don't like being on TV. Um, and mostly because I don't actually watch that much sport. So I was a bit like, I don't know how well this is going to go, because if they actually ask me questions, I'm not going to know any of the answers. Um, but it actually went surprisingly well. I think that kind of the environment of the new question of sport with the new host and everything kind of made it a bit nicer. Um, and then I was on the team with Hugo and a comedian, so that was quite nice. Um, but then, yeah, one of the questions was one of these, like, watch all these clips and say the year or whatever it was. Um, and I think the people that had edited the clips hadn't quite paid as much attention as apparently I was paying because one of the clips had the year in the background. So, <laughs> so I kind of cheated it. But um, they then cut all of that out, the final edit, so it just looks like I know the answer. So I'm, <laughs> I'll take that. Um, but yeah, and then I got my question wrong, which was a bit sad. Um, but it was a really badly worded question. So anyone that actually knows Salem and listened to it kind of understands why I got my question wrong. So um, I don't feel like I completely embarrassed myself. Um, but no, it was a really cool experience. And it was a really like, cool to be like on such a legendary show and be able to be kind of, yeah, not look completely stupid to the entire nation, which was cool. But back to work. Are we going to see you in the European Championships and, and what are we going to see you competing in? Yeah, so European Championships and I'll be there, yeah, racing both boats and racing Extreme Salem, which I'm terrified about. Don't actually enjoy that, but, you know, you've got to, you've got to try new things even when they absolutely petrify you. Um, but no, yeah, so I've got that and then we go pretty much straight into our full schedule. The Worlds is early this year. Um, so I think I'm back from the Euros for like a week and then out for the three World Cups, back for a couple of weeks and then out for the Worlds. And that's kind of how the year is until I get to the end. Um, so it's going to be a bit crazy and yeah, racing now three categories, which will be quite tiring as well, but really looking forward to getting back and out, back out racing and sitting back on those start lines and getting to experience a couple of venues I haven't been to in a while, which is quite cool. Joe, tell us about extreme slalom canoeing. What is it? How exciting is it? Um, it's a new event that's been brought in for the Paris 2024 Olympics. It's, uh, well, it's extreme. It's, it's in the name. It's uh, definitely extreme kayaking. Um, it's four people start off the ramp. You launch off the ramp together. Very similar to the Salem. You've got green gates. You have to go right-hand side of those green gates. And you've got um, red gates, which are the upstreams. You have to go back up through them. There's one on either side, left or right. And you can choose which one you navigate. And that obviously depends on where your other competitors go, potentially where you decide to go yourself. Uh, and it's about going down and, and coming out first. And added extra in there as well, though, not to, not to forget, is the uh, roll line. So the line that goes across the river and you have to Eskimo roll the kayak underneath. Um, and then it's the first person fast to finish line, obviously, assuming no faults have been made. So, yeah, very exciting and, uh, and great to be a part of. Sounds terrifying, is it? Yeah, it definitely can be. Um, when you've got somebody hurling towards you in a, in a plastic kayak at great speeds, uh, but it's about trying to tactically how you can put them offline. I guess 
the thing, the sport you closest say it was is almost BMX or uh, snowboard across. Um, if you're familiar with those, um, so yeah, it's a great sport, and I think it's almost in some ways going to put canoe sailing on the map in a, in a different way. It's funny you mentioned those two sports, Joe, because I was going to say it's very similar to those uh, snowboard cross and, and BMX cross as we saw at the Olympics and the, and the Winter Olympics. Um, you won a gold at the Worlds in extreme slalom, but is it more of a lottery, even more of a lottery, lottery than normal canoe slalom? That's literally the question that everybody asks or those spectating it think, oh, this looks like a lottery, but people are consistently winning medals in that sport and it's the same people over and over again that are doing so. Last season, I had a bronze at the European Championships. I finished fourth in, in one of the World Cups and then obviously I won the World Championships. So I only competed in four or five races last year. So to think I've finished in the top four three times doesn't really seem like a lottery to me. Tactically, it plays a massive part um, and it's about choosing when to strike and choosing when your moment is. And sometimes I, th I think we refer to it as like keeping the powder dry and sometimes holding back when you might think, right, attack. But it's like, let's just see how this race pans out. Okay, of course, there's going to be some things that happen that are a bit like, oh God, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Um, but at the same time, canoe slaloms like that, you see people putting runs down that you don't necessarily expect. I think any sport, you see those people getting knocked out in the first round in, in Wimbledon that aren't the, the favourites and stuff. There's always going to be that like kind of anomaly in sport. It's about trying to uh, reduce those with your tactical game and, and the way you operate in, 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 the, in the race, I guess. Obviously, we've got the European Championships coming up this month that you're competing in. And I think you've already said you want to do the double in Paris. You want to do extreme slalom and canoe slalom, the K1. Yeah, that's, uh, that's like the, the dream, basically, to go to, go to Paris, uh, to compete in both and, and to complete, well, not complete the medal cabinet because it's already got the gold medal, but to get another gold because that was my dream post, post Rio to win another Olympic gold medal. Uh, it didn't obviously happen for me in Tokyo, having not got selected. So Paris is uh, on the radar now and not to be greedy, but there's obviously a chance for two golds. How tough will that be? Uh, it's going to be fierce. I mean, the, I've not seen how the competition schedule will run for the Olympics, but it's always quite hard racing day after day. So you're thinking adding a new event in and a different stimulus and it requires different physical attributes. So, to add another event in and on top of you already won and obviously it's going to be pretty tiring and uh yeah it's interesting to see how it all pans out but plenty of training between now and then to get fit and uh, strong ready for anything and i guess first of all qualification is an issue because as we know and as you mentioned there there's such a high quality of paddlers with british canoeing that you're not always guaranteed the seat and the place it's not like in athletics where we might send three people to run 800 metres, for example. No, there's unfortunately there's only one per, per category in canoe slalom. Um, but there is an outward chance that if you finish with the, the, the rules of being published for the Olympics with the extreme slalom. So if you missed out on the, on the slalom spot, which then will guarantee you to race slalom and extreme, there's also if you could finish top three nations at a later race in 2024 as an option to get a second extreme slalom boat so we may end up with two two extreme slalom paddlers on the start line final question joe it's not that far away paris that's what's scary about it i mean you phrase it as scary i, I phrase it as a condensing the olympic cycle for three years makes it significantly easier to commit to obviously i had the shoulder surgery at the back end of 2019. I've had a wrist surgery at the start of this year, so I'm kind of raring to go. I'm almost a new athlete. I've had uh, the wrist and the shoulder repairs. Uh, I've had the 
the MO too, and it's about building back to my best now. And if I can get back to my best and, and challenge for that gold medal in Paris. Great to catch up with both Joe uh, and Mallory ahead of the European Championships, which takes place uh, next weekend um, at the end of the month. Uh, canoe slalom legend David Florence, meantime, has announced his retirement from competitive paddling after 21 years. Three Olympic silver medals, three world championship titles. Uh, he's also been European champion, won more than 25 World Cup medals, including seven gold. We wish David Florence uh, all the best. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. And still to come, we'll be finding out about the future of British boxing. And it's quite an interesting one. Yep, time for some other headlines, though, first. Team England has announced 21 para-athletes selected to represent the home nation at this summer's Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. They include the aforementioned Hannah Cockcroft, David Weir, six-time Paralympic medalist Dan Greaves, and local Coventry wheelchair racer Carrie Adenagan. England's men and women have played their first internationals in front of a home crowd in two and a half years in the Hockey Pro League games at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre on Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. The men beat France twice over the weekend, 5-4 and 4-1. Sam Ward, uh, his first couple of matches as captain, scoring three times in two games. Uh, England women were denied by a late China equaliser in a 1-1 draw on Saturday, but lost the second match on Sunday, 3-1. Now, the Taekwondo European Championships have been held in Manchester. Medals galore and potentially, I think, a blueprint for the future of events like this because the first time Paralympic and Olympic athletes at an elite level have been given equal billing, making it a landmark event. Golds uh, for Bianca Walkton, that was a record fourth European gold. Uh, Beth Munro, Bradley Sinden and Joe Lane. You'll remember some of those names from uh, the last Olympics. Bronze medals for Amy Truesdale. A silver medalist in Tokyo, Lauren Williams, won a bronze at the Europeans. Kira Forsyth and two-time Olympic champion Jay Jones won a bronze after losing an intense semi-final to the pole. Uh, Jay Jones won that bronze medal, edged out 27-24 in her semi-final. 52 rowers have been selected to represent Great Britain at the 2022 World Rowing Cup 1, taking place in Belgrade at the end of this month, 27th to the 29th of May, like the European Canoe Slalom Championships. The squad comprises 10 Paralympic athletes, as well as 42 men and women from the Olympic squad. Um, British Rowing Director of Performance Louise Kingsley, of course, recently appointed to the role, says that World Cup 1 is the first step on our journey to Paris 2024 and, of course, needing to put Tokyo uh, well behind them. Six riders will represent Great Britain in the UCI BMX Racing World Cup in Glasgow. There's a sport that will have fond memories of Tokyo BMX. (laughs) Uh, It takes place on the 28th to the 29th of May. Reigning Olympic champion Beth Shriver, the current world and national champion, will be looking to continue her sensational recent form. And following his silver medal at the Tokyo Games, Kai White will be leading the elite men's squad. And we now know the final four who will play off for the Vitality Netball Super League Championship after Team Bath secured the fourth and final spot with a weekend to go in the season. They can't be ca- they can't catch London Pulse, though, who are in third place, who still have two games to go, including a Monday night must-watch against unbeaten leaders Manchester Thunder. That is going to literally uh, be thunderous, I would have thought. Uh, Manchester leading the way at the moment. Finals weekend is over the Jubilee weekend 
weekend. So the semis on Friday, June 3rd, and the finals at the Copper Box in Queen Elizabeth Park on Sunday, June 5th. Good luck to all of the netball teams. Yeah, good luck to all of them. Outstanding performance, though, this season from London Pulse, I've got to say. I mean, you know, I know we've followed their their progress pretty closely, um, especially, you know, with them being the residents on on the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park at the Copper Box. But I think even, you know, London Pulse would probably admit they're surprised to be where they are this year. So, yeah, fantastic performance for them to, to be in those playoffs. But we'll wrap up on anything but footy with news from GB Boxing, who have announced that despite turning professional, Karis Artingstall and Lauren Price will stay with the setup in Sheffield. GB Boxing have confirmed they will now welcome up to three professional boxers at any one time to the English Institute of Sport, as they believe it will benefit their boxers on the pathway to the Olympic Games, as well as provide commercial revenue. Now, in a moment, we'll hear from Chief Executive Matt Holt. But firstly, I spoke with GB Boxing's chair. Hello, Michael. My name's Jason Glover. I'm the chair of GB Boxing. I've been the chair since October 2021. And prior to that, was on the board for eight years when GB Boxing was set up back in 2009. So tell us about this unique agreement that you're now going to have some professional boxers, boxers that have turned professional, training with the world-class programme in Sheffield. Well, we've given a lot of thought to it. Really, from our perspective, we're coming from the perspective of the programme itself and trying to work out whether something like this would be additive to the programme. And we think it is. We think that it provides uh, our boxers with access to world-class sparring with the professionals. Um, We think it's particularly important that the amateur boxers, often very young, have the opportunity to work with and learn from positive role models who've previously achieved Olympic success. Um, It obviously has uh, the ability to generate revenue for GB Boxing, and we can put that revenue back into the world-class programme to support the hiring of additional coaches, uh, etc. And also, I think from GB Boxing's perspective, we think it provides development opportunities for the GB Boxing coaches themselves. And that's actually an important aspect of this. It's not just looking at the boxers, but looking at the wider group of employees. And then I guess from the the professional boxers perspective themselves, I think what it does is it provides a pathway for boxers to move into the professional ranks. We think in turn that that will make GB Boxing a more attractive uh, proposition to young boxers who are looking at turning professional at some point in the future. And then finally, I think it increases the talent pool that's available uh, to GB Boxing if um, a professional boxer might wish to try and qualify for uh, future Olympics. So lots of, lots of benefits really win a win-win for both the professional boxers and for the programme. Let me ask you if I can, first of all, about the experience between some of the boxers on the Olympic programme, for example. When I've been to the EIS, they always talk to me about Anthony Joshua returning, Nicola Adams returning. Is that a huge thing for these boxers to see these people that have gone on and been successful in the professional ranks? I think it is. And I think it's also very, very helpful that they see how their amateur journey fits in with subsequent professional success. So, you know, there's no doubt that Anthony's presence in the gym at Sheffield was a major uh, contributor to the subsequent success we had at the super heavyweight level, both with Joe Joyce and Fraser Clark. That was pretty powerful. And even before that, when we had Cole Froch coming into the gym, uh, he took uh, Anthony Agogo 
uh, to one side and really acted as a mentor to him. Um, and that was a very successful uh, relationship too. So we see huge benefits in having the professional boxers, um, those who've had Olympic success, or indeed those who are very successful professional boxers being with our amateur, um, our amateur team. And in terms of the funding part of the equation, obviously UK sport fund Olympic Paralympic sport in this country, your success in Tokyo would suggest that you're not going to be short of funding from UK sport, but is it important always to have an eye on other sources of revenue? It is. Uh, UK sport make it very clear that we should be seeking to uh, attract commercial revenue. And I think it's fair to say that one of the challenges with GB boxing is that that commercial revenue is quite hard to find. Um, you know, the challenges that we face, I think, are twofold. One, boxing isn't necessarily everybody's cup of tea. Um, and I think the second thing is because we typically lose most, if not all, of our athletes uh, at the end of one Olympics, even with the great success that we have, we're starting from scratch. And when you're trying to sign commercial sponsors for a four-year or in this case a three-year program at the start of that program it's is quite difficult so this is really good commercial income that we think can we can bring in and, and provide some additional resource to um to the program and this was going to be capped as i understand at three professional boxers per cycle you've got lauren price and Karis artingstall tokyo 2020 medalists that we know about I presume, obviously, that they came to you and said, look, this is the location, the environment where we are happiest and we are maybe best ready to succeed. They did. You know, we've been really delighted that they wanted to be two of the three professionals to join. The third one, by the way, hasn't been identified yet. That space is, is currently vacant. And just to explain the reason why three was chosen for this cycle, it will be revisited next cycle. And I'm hopeful that this will be a very successful scheme that will allow us to expand the programme to a greater number uh, in the run up to Los Angeles in 2028. But, but the rationale behind the three professionals was we wanted to do this gradually, really um, make sure that this can work and work well, not only for the um, podium boxers, but also for the professionals themselves. So, um, you know, we, we, we're ambitious about this, but we, we know we have to uh, walk before we run. And I know Rob McCracken a little bit. I'm pretty sure that this decision wouldn't have been made without his and his staff say so. I'm presuming it's something that they would welcome. Yeah, he's very, very supportive behind all of this. You know, we've we've talked very closely with Rob and the coaches to make sure that they support this. And probably most importantly of all, that providing this um Coaching to Lauren and Karis won't in any way adversely impact on the podium boxers. So when we've looked at this, we've, we've been very, very focused on what it means for uh, GB boxing and for the amateur boxers on the program. Um, and Rob and the, and the coaching team have you know, been very supportive uh, behind this initiative. Final question then, is the end game here that we could see professional boxers at an Olympic Games? It's a great question. You know, there, there were eight uh, professional boxers who medaled uh, in Tokyo. So this has already happened in other countries um, and has, has been reasonably successful. So it is possible. I mean, we've made it very clear with this program that we will prioritise those on the podium programme itself. If we feel that we have podium boxers who have got medal potential, then they will always be prioritised over uh, professional boxers. 
but inevitably that there, there will be times when we have gaps in the in the program particularly you know when we only have in this case three years to to take boxers from their current position to being potential medalists and that's where potentially having access to professional boxers who might want to come back and box for GB boxing and Great Britain in the Olympics is is appealing. So, um, yes, I, I think that that could happen. But at the moment, I think it's important to say that Lauren and Karis are both very much focused on their professional careers. There's been no suggestion from them at this particular point in time that they're committing to coming back in 2024. So no chance of seeing Tyson Fury in Paris representing <laughs> Team GB then? Um, we, can we can but dream, can't we? I am Matt Holt. I'm the chief executive of GB Boxing. Matt, you have a unique thing at GB Boxing, unlike a lot of the other Olympic sports, in that when your guys are successful, they don't necessarily come back to do another cycle. Not always, but usually they will then turn professional. And that is, I guess, a unique challenge for you. It's, it's, a, big, it's a big challenge for us, uh, Michael. We have to regenerate the squad once every four years. Uh, we know our, our major competitors in international boxing and Olympic boxing are able to, to retain the boxers for a multiple number of cycles. You can see that from the number of repeat uh, gold medalists that Cuba had at the Olympic Games. So it's, it's a massive challenge for us. We've got to accelerate the development of the boxers really, really quickly uh, and those coming through the system to make sure that they're competitive in, in three years' time this time uh, because we've obviously lost a year uh to covid so it's it's a big challenge for us as an organization as a program but but typically the coaches and the pd and the boxers rise to it yeah what are the difficulties in if you like clearing those decks every four years and having to bring a brand new cohort through yeah i mean we're, we're, we're prepared for it we um you know the kind of the world-class program runs on, on on eight year cycles we have two squads we have the podium squad and we have the academy squad so when your number one boxers that go to an Olympic Games, you know, decide that their future lies with professional boxing. Typically, we've got the boxers in the system already um, and they're in the position then to step up and to, to take the number one selections for, for the major championships and get themselves uh, as prepared as they can, as quickly as they can to step into the shoes of the boxers who've departed. And in terms of the boxers, for example, Karis and Lauren, who are moved into professional ranks now, we are in an era where we are putting the athlete much more at the centre of what we do. It seems to me to make sense that they are still in an environment that was successful for them and one they enjoyed and thrived in. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. Um, the fact that the, the, the two boxers want to stay is is a great commendation for the programme and the way Rob McCracken and the team of coaches operate. That they They value that continuity. They trust the people that they work with. They get a good facility to operate in and they're surrounded by 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 staff that they know uh, will support them on their journey. So so for, the, for, for, for those two boxers, I think it's a natural transition for them. Um, they're obviously the next step for them is into professional boxing. Uh, but the, we believe that um, by staying in Sheffield, the benefits will be there for those boxers um, and also for the boxers that are on the programme already. How long has this piece of work been in the offing? Has it been something that's been talked about for a long time? Well, we've had we've had conversations going back some time about how we might engage with with professional boxers ever since the International Federation um, IBA decided that professional boxers would be eligible to compete at the Olympic Games. 
um, that that was for, first brought in for Rio 2016, and then we've seen an increase of the number of pros and the number of medalists at the Olympic Games at the, at the Tokyo Games last year, as well. So, so it's been on our mind to think about how how we engage with the kind of the broader pool of talent to make sure that we kind of remain competitive across all Olympic weight categories uh, moving forward. Um, in terms of kind of thinking about, you know, how seriously these discussions started in earnest. Um, well, after the Olympic Games, obviously, the boxers are all faced with the decision about what they do next. You know, are they going to move into the professional ranks? Who will manage them? Who will coach them? Um, in, in, in that sense, it was great that the kind of the, the, the initiative almost came from the boxers as, as much as it did from the organisation itself, which kind of shows you, you know, the value that they place on, on the programme. So it was that point, kind of August, September last year, where we, we started to start have these conversations a little bit more seriously. Obviously, we discussed this at length with our board and engaged UK Sport from the, the start to make sure that every was, everyone was on board and we decided that it was the, the right thing to do. And I guess you have to be careful with the choice of boxers that you bring into your environment with Karis and with Lauren. They are two that you know, and I'm presuming that moving forward, it will have to be people that you know and people that are maybe not going to be bad apples in the gym, for example, or people that might upset the good work that you're doing there? Well, we have, um, we have a really strong culture at GB Boxing. It's an environment that the, the staff and the boxers all enjoy working in. We've kind of got good continuity of staff. People, when they, they're with GB Boxing, tend to stay for, for, for a long while. Um, so obviously, it's kind of very, very important to us that, that, that we strengthen that culture and we kind of maintain it and we, you know, make sure that as a performance environment, it's, you know, it's conducted to the very highest standards. That's our expectation of our staff. It's the expectation of the boxers on the world class, class program. And equally, it would be the expectation of the boxers that were re remaining with us as professional boxers. So, so yeah, obviously the character of the boxer is, is, is very important alongside, you know, the skill and the technical ability of the boxer to help drive the improvement of our, of our own athletes as well. And just finally, for those of us that have been lucky enough to come to your gym and see the setup, we know there's huge pictures all around of all the British medal-winning boxers from Olympic Games gone by. You must be getting slightly pushed for space, but is there a wall where you've got earmarked some pictures for two years' time in Paris? Well, that, that's a nice challenge to have, isn't it, Michael? Um, and, yeah, winning kind of six medals in, in Tokyo was 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 fantastic and you know we're in the process at the moment of kind of uh, working out where to to put the boxes from Tokyo before we even think of Paris but yeah obviously it's something that we need we need to keep an eye on and you know one of the nice things about uh, about the Tokyo games was when the boxers won their olympic medals they almost seemed as excited about having their their pictures on the wall in Sheffield as they did as, as having the the medals around their neck so um yeah it's a challenge but it's a, it's a it's a great one to have and long may it continue Great interviews, Michael, as always. But I can't really imagine seeing Tyson Fury at an Olympics. I'm not sure he fits in with the values, shall we say, of Team GB. But it would definitely be something that people would talk about. Should say boxing is not guaranteed um, to be in LA. You know, they're, they're on a, a pathway to being in LA, but they are not guaranteed to be on the program yet. You know, that would be hugely detrimental for Team GB and GB Boxing because... You know, six medals in Tokyo. Take that out of the overall medal to total and you are dropping down a few places on that medal table. Mm, absolutely. Uh, we will talk, of course, uh, LA as the uh, weeks and months go on, but we're very much 
on the way to Paris. The countdown starts here to Paris 2024. And that, of course, uh, not to mention the Commonwealth Games that are coming up this summer. As ever, you can get in touch anytime at Anything But F on Twitter. We're on Insta. We're on Facebook. We're thinking about TikTok. If you want to have an opinion on that, please let us know. If you really want to see us on TikTok, we're, we're kind of thinking about it, but we're, we're not quite convinced at this moment in time uh, whether the world really needs that. Uh, you can email anythingbutfooty at gmail.com or check out our website, anythingbutfooty.com. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.